Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Our verse of focus this evening will be Romans 12, verse 1. And we are nearing the end of our series on the theme of the body as it appears in the book of Romans. But for context, we will read uh, beginning in chapter 11, verse 11. And as you uh, flip there, you will note, if you can remember back to our last sermon in this series, we were in chapter 8. So we have passed over chapter 9, chapter 10. Now we're into chapter 11. It's not because those chapters are uh, unimportant uh, or anything like that. It's simply that the theme that we are looking at does not appear quite as frequently in those chapters. So we are moving ahead to uh, chapter 12. But I will pick up the reading in 11.11 for context. I say then, they, referring to the Jews, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? For I am, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the Father's. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, 
So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. As we come into chapter 12, we find once again the mention of the body. And there is an exhortation from the apostle to present uh, your bodies for the readers of the Romans. And the Holy Spirit addressing us calls us to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And we can ask the question, what would motivate someone to be willing to offer their body as a living sacrifice? If you think of an animal sacrifice, can you imagine an animal that goes excited at the prospect? Perhaps it goes willingly because it doesn't know what lies ahead of it. But in an animal that knows full well that it's going to go be slaughtered, does not look forward to that kind of uh, sacrifice. And yet we are called to willingly and freely offer of our bodies a sacrifice. What could possibly motivate someone to be willing to treat their body in such a way? I want to spend uh, two sermons uh, with our text here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this evening, I would like to simply look at the reasons why, reasons that would motivate us. You notice in verse 1 that Paul says, therefore I urge you. And that with this, therefore, there is the whole context of Romans 1 through 11 in the background. So to uh, review the mercies of God, Paul exhorts, by the mercies of God, that we should do this. How is it that we are going to be able to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? It's only in view of the mercies of God. Only as we reflect on the mercies of God are we going to be able to respond appropriately with gratitude in such a way that we become willing to do something like this. So this evening I would like to illustrate or, or bring up Four of the mercies of God that we have seen in Romans. Four mercies that would motivate us and enable us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And first, uh, we'll look at the mercy of God to send his own son to give his body for us. 
This is one of the, the mercies that we have seen, that God sent his own son to give his body for us. You can think of Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can think of the gift of God in giving his son. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Again, God gives his son, and we read in chapter 8 that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, or for a sin offering. We think of the words of Jesus when he instituted the Lord's Supper. This is my body, which is for you. That Jesus has given his body for his people. And so if the Lord has given his body for us, we should be willing to give our bodies to him. If the Lord gave his body as a sin offering, we should be willing to give our bodies as a thank offering in response. There is a reciprocal offer of the body, that Jesus offers us his body, and in response we are called to offer our bodies. Yeah, as this is reciprocal, it's, it's not symmetrical, it's asymmetrical, that the way that Christ gave his body for us was for our redemption. Yeah, as we give our bodies to God through Christ, it is by way of thankful response. Paul elsewhere writes, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. The Lord has given his body, and his body is for you. And so in response, our bodies are meant for the Lord. Now, as we think about Christ having given his body for us in a sacrifice, uh, we, we can think of this, this idea of reciprocity. But we can also understand that you can give something without there being union with the thing that's given. So, for example, your friend gives you a gift card to Panera, and you, in response, decide to reciprocate, and you give your friend a gift card to Chipotle. And so there's a, a mutual giving that takes place. And yet when a body is involved, when a body is the gift, when God's own son is the gift, there's not just this reciprocal action, but there's, there becomes a union with the gift. You're not united to the gift card. You possess the gift card, you own it, you might put it in your wallet or purse, but you're not in union with it. And yet, when a body is involved, there is the possibility of a union taking place. If your friend, instead of a gift card, gives you an apple, you can eat that apple and it, it becomes a part of you. It enters into union with your body. Or if a husband and wife get married, when they give themselves to each other, there is a one flesh union that results. When God gives us his son, there is not just the gift that's given that remains outside of us, but it's given in such a way that we are brought into union with that gift. So that brings us to a second mercy 
of God that we have seen, that he sent his son to give his body for us, and now secondly, God's mercy to unite our bodies to Christ. Uh, reflecting again on the, the previous chapters that we have read in chapter 6, Paul underscores our union with Christ. That he says that we have been baptized into Christ, that we have been crucified with Christ, we have been buried with Christ. That we are in union with Christ so that what has happened to him is regarded as having happened to us because of that, that fellowship that we have with him through the Holy Spirit. And again, appealing to another epistle of Paul, he writes, Your bodies are members of Christ. Your bodies are derivatively an extension of the Messiah. Because you, with soul and body, have been united to the Messiah. In the context to which I'm referring in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes this statement as he's raising the question of, of how do you use your, your body in terms of morality, in terms of a, a sexual ethic. And he says, do you not know, if, if, I were to, if I were to unite myself with a prostitute, that I would become one flesh with her. But in doing so, I would be uniting Christ, a member of Christ's body, to the prostitute. Because the union between the believer and Christ is so real that it would be to bring into union with the prostitute by joining to her. And that is a contradiction that cannot stand. That the body of the believer is so much a member of Christ that if you were to take your body and unite it to a prostitute, you would be uniting Christ to a prostitute. A contradiction of a defiled body in union with Christ cannot stand. But consider, as, as Paul speaks in this way, the mercy of God of what that means for you. That you can say, my body is a member of Christ. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There is a, a slogan that we oftentimes hear in our culture around us, and we, we associate it with particularly women seeking an abortion, my body, my choice. And yet, we should recognize that this slogan is really the way that our society at large views the human body. Not just the women seeking an abortion, but the college students who go out and get drunk on the weekend, uh, the men who commit fornication, uh, the, the reviler who has no restraint upon his tongue, our society by and large operates with this assumption, my body, my choice. And yet, by the mercies of God, as Christians, we can make a different confession. That we can say of our bodies, it's the Lord's body. And so it's the Lord's choice how I am to use it. It's the Lord's will. And so I must use my body in a way that is consistent with God's will. Because Christ's body has been given for me, 
and because my body has been united to Christ. So the mercy of God to give his own son, to give his body, and the mercy of God to unite our bodies to Christ. But thinking on union, we move to yet another mercy, and that is that in union with Christ, our bodies begin to be patterned after Christ. You can think of uh, uh, some elderly couples occasionally, and you may notice that they begin to resemble each other. That after uh, decades and decades of marriage, the one begins to look like the other. And this is a third mercy of God, that, it, that God has chosen to pattern your bodies after Christ. Now, he's decided to pattern all of your life, your inner man and your outer man, after Christ. There is that transformation of soul as well that is being made like Christ, that's being renewed and shaped into his image. But as we are especially focusing on the body, we can highlight that it includes the body as well that is being conformed into the image of Christ. Paul says in, in Romans 12, continuing into verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed into what, though? Transformed into what, what object, what image? Paul has already told us in chapter 8 that we are being conformed to the image of of the Son, that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers. That it is the purpose of God to populate and fill the earth with a human race that resembles their oldest sibling, Jesus Christ. And so this is the image into which we are being transformed. It is the image of Christ. And it includes the interior man, the soul, but it will also entail a bodily transformation. And so we can think about how in Romans, Paul has portrayed our experience as Christians so much after the pattern of Christ's life. Think about Jesus beginning with his baptism in the Jordan, that he is baptized. And then think of Romans 6, where Paul says, you have been baptized into Christ. But then further, think about what happened accompanying that baptism. That the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended from heaven, rested upon Christ, and with the descent of the Spirit upon the baptized, there came a proclamation, this is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. And now consider how Paul has described Christians and our relationship to the Spirit in Romans. We also have been baptized. The Spirit of God has been given to us. The, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And the Spirit has been given to us. And with the reception of that Spirit of adoption comes a proclamation of sonship. God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And we recognize that Jesus is the unique son of God. We are sons by adoption. And yet we, we also recognize that this is part of our patterning after Christ. Baptized, receiving the spirit, declaration of sonship. And then consider what happens to Christ after his baptism. He is led by the spirit into the wilderness. What does Paul say of the Christian in Romans chapter 8? That we are to be led by the Spirit. And what does Christ do in the wilderness? He hungers and he is tempted. And he must subordinate the desires of his body to the will of God. And so now the Christian as well must subordinate the desires of our body to the will of God. Because we are led by the Spirit, as Christ was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And again, we make distinctions that none of Christ's bodily desires were sinful, as is the case with us. But still noting that we are being patterned after the image of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 8 that uh, we participate with Christ in his suffering so that we may participate with him in glory. That the spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. And so we see how much in, in Romans we see that the description of the Christian resembles the life and trajectory of Christ's own uh, existence uh, as man on the earth. And part of that is that Christ offered himself his body as a sacrifice. That as we are called to offer our bodies as a sacrifice, we recognize that this is part of our being patterned after the image of Christ. That Christ offered his body as a sacrifice, and so now we too are being made to look like him. And again, we make distinctions that Christ's sacrifice blots out guilt, and the sacrifice of our bodies does not do that. Nevertheless, there is a resemblance still in that we are offering our bodies in full devotion to the Lord. And so consider the mercy of God in this command, that as we are exhorted to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that this is part of of our being made to look like Jesus. Now, fourth, there is another mercy of God which we ought to consider and which ought to motivate us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And that is the argument that Paul has been making in Romans 9 through 11. As Paul has been talking about sonship in Romans chapter 8, his mind goes to and he begins to think about Israel, the Jews, those who in the Old Testament are called God's son, God's firstborn. And he scans the situation and he sees so many unbelieving Jews and it causes him great anguish. And the question comes up, what, what of God's faithfulness has he left off the Jewish people? 
Are they still his sons, or has he cast him, them off forever? And in the course of explaining God's continuing faithfulness to the Jewish people, despite, by and large, unbelief among the Jews, he reveals a mystery, that a partial hardening has come on the Jewish people. That at present, it is not a total hardening, that there is always a remnant so that even now in our own day and context, evangelization of the Jews is not a lost cause because there is a, a remnant that will believe. But also further, that the promises of God to Abraham are irrevocable. And there yet remains a return from exile for the Jewish people. There yet remains a turning again to God that through the Gentiles coming to obtain mercy, that the Jewish people will be provoked to jealousy. And then when the fullness of the Gentiles has been brought in, that the Jews will also call upon and find salvation in the Messiah. And it's in light of this merciful plan of God that he has placed all under disobedience so that none would boast, so that all would hang on the mercy of God in Christ, so that Christ would be everything, so that there would be no room for boasting, and his plan to yet have mercy on the Jewish people. In light of that mercy, let's get the Gentiles gathered in. In light of that mercy, let the Gentiles offer themselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. In light of that mercy, do you see how urgent it is that the Gentiles present their bodies because this is what in God's plan he will use to yet again have mercy on Israel. Our God is merciful. There is a partial hardening that has come upon the Jewish people. And interpreters debate, what does it look like for all Israel to be gathered in? Will it be Israel gathered in through the, the, the trickle of, of history? Or will there be a, an event at some point later in the future, just prior to Christ's return? Yet what is most certainly clear is that God intends to have mercy. And he intends to have mercy on the Jews through the Gentiles just as he has had mercy on the Gentiles through the Jews. And so in light of that intended mercy that God will display, let us present our bodies as living sacrifices. And so congregation, I urge you, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God to give you his own son, by the mercies of God to unite you and to unite your bodies to Christ, by his mercies to conform you after the image of Christ, and by his mercies to have compassion on the Jews through the Gentiles, present your bodies to God as a sacrifice, living, holy, and well-pleasing to our God. Let's pray together.
Our God, we do thank you for your mercies and your steadfast love. We ask that we would live in light of these mercies, that we would not see this call to present our bodies as burdensome, but viewing them, uh, viewing this call to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in light of your mercies. May this be a joyous task set before us. And so may we present ourselves to you day by day, every member of our bodies to you in holiness. We ask for the strength to do this by your Holy Spirit. And we cling ever to the precious reconciliation that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 